HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Steward, equipping regenerative farms with the capital they need to grow. Learn more at gosteward.com. This episode is brought to you by PASA Sustainable Agriculture. Register to attend PASA's 31st annual conference by January 28th at pasafarming.org slash conference. Hi, this is Lisa Held, and you're listening to The Farm Report, a Heritage Radio Network show about the people, processes, and policies that shape how food is produced today. America's farmers are aging rapidly, and those looking to sell their land are finding no shortage of buyers. Billionaires, global corporations, investment firms, and developers are all buying up farmland for profit at a quick click driving up prices and making it nearly impossible for young and beginning farmers without accumulated wealth to afford their own acreage to plant and harvest. Farmers need equitable access to land now. That's the message behind the National Young Farmer Coalition's One Million Acres for the Future campaign. My guest today is Holly Rippon Butler, the coalition's land campaign director. And we're going to talk about the factors driving land access challenges historic and ongoing injustices that make accessing land even more challenging for BIPOC farmers, and how land ownership relates to long-term economic viability and environmental impact. Holly, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. So before we jump into our conversation about farmland, we have a lot to talk about. Um, Can you just give listeners who haven't heard of the Young Farmers Coalition a quick introduction into Um, who the organization represents and what it does. Yeah, definitely. So the National Young Farmers Coalition was founded in 2011, and uh, we are a grassroots coalition shifting power and changing policy to equitably resource a new generation of farmers. We have a a large grassroots network um, with 50 farmer-led chapters in 32 states, and we're really focused around this idea that the challenges young farmers face are structural and require policy solutions. And we're mobilizing farmers across the country to have a voice in those policy solutions to be directly engaged in that change and uh, to bring their voices 
to to Washington. It's amazing. Um, I, you know, I've been following the Young Farmers Coalition for a while now, but I didn't realize um, that means you had your 10 year anniversary last year. <laughs> a yeah. decade of work. Yeah. Yeah. Incredible. <laughs> yeah. It's really, um, you know, it's really amazing to get to have been a part of that work for so long and just to be aware of how the work that we've been doing for 10 years is such, um, it feels like a really long time, but it, it builds on such a long history of advocacy and um, really grassroots campaigning around the the issues affecting farmers in this country. So it's it's really powerful to be part of that long history as well. Sure. So part of um, what you do at National Young Farmers Coalition is um, help farmers with challenges they're facing, right? You, as you just laid out, um, you know, what is preventing farmers from from farming and from um, expanding their farms and, and succeeding as farmers. Um, and, you know, I know you've done several surveys over the years and uh, through those surveys have identified land access as the number one challenge that young farmers face. Um, so, so let's talk a little bit about that. What in your mind, are the top factors contributing to that issue? Yeah. Well, like, as you said, yeah, access to land, it's the number one challenge facing the next generation of farmers in the U.S. And we know this barrier is even greater for farmers of color. Um, And this is something we've heard from farmers over and over again, anecdotally, but also in, in our survey data and we, every five years, do a big national survey of farmers around the country. Our last report was from our 2017 survey, and we are actually in the midst of collecting new data right now. So if you're a farmer and you're listening to this, please take our Young Farmer Survey. Oh, um, this, great timing. <laughs> yeah, this data is so important for guiding our policy work. But yeah, so we know that land access is this huge barrier, and I think it just... It's so foundational. Land is, it's deeply intertwined with all aspects of farmers' businesses, all aspects of success and growing food. And it doesn't just impact farmers. I think that's another point that I want to make is that, you know, if you're listening to this and you're not a farmer, secure land access for the people who grow our food. It's so, it's critical. It's critical to health, well being of our communities, environment, our economy. Um, and yeah, this challenge has just been growing for for young farmers who are trying to get into into producing food, growing food for their communities. And it's complicated. It's there are so many uh reasons that you can you can kind of unpack of why this is a challenge and you can certainly start from the the very the just the surface level of as a young person going out trying to gain secure access to land. And um, and I say secure access to land rather than ownership because we actually hear from farmers that ownership is not necessarily their goal or their core value. It's really just about having that security and the long-term stability. Um, most often that looks like ownership in our current real estate, private property system. Um, but yeah, on the surface, the, the challenge can is just simply a math issue is that you go out and right. the prices on that you're seeing for real estate are uh, so much higher than it's possible to get a mortgage for based on 
your business plan as a farmer, or especially if you have student loan debt, uh, many as many young people do. And, you know, if you dig a little deeper, it's like, well, okay, why, why don't you just try to farm where land is cheaper, where, you know, there's less um, population pressure. And that, uh, you know, that also is is challenging because farmers are not just looking for a place for their business. It's going to be their home and their community. And if they're, um, you know, having kids or a family where where they will be building a life and a customer base and um, rural spaces where land can be cheap and affordable are not necessarily um, comfortable or attractive or safe for all for all farmers and especially um, for farmers of color at times. So I think, you know, you just start to, it starts to get um, more complex. The digger, the, the deeper you, you dig into the issue. Um, but yeah, at the, at the real surface level, it's, it's just about this, this math issue of um, prices are higher than farmers can afford. And that's primarily because they're being, they're competing against non-farming buyers, people whose incomes and you know bank accounts are not dependent on growing food for a living. Um, and you know, I think probably we'll get into this more, but obviously we believe that there are many deeper underpinning challenges of why this land access um, issue is such a challenge and that it's really related to to structural policy issues at, at its core. Right. And, and you mentioned, you know, this idea of like, oh, why don't farmers just go buy land in places where it's cheaper? Um, and, you know, the, the idea that like, well, they need to live somewhere that is, you know, works for their family. And, but, and it's also um, proximity to markets, right? Like I, I, I think there was just a big story in civil elites about, you know, the Hudson Valley, for instance, uh, where like, it's such a great place for farming because you're close to a market, right? Where you can, you can, if, especially if you're a small diversified farm that wants to sell directly to people, you need to be close to people, right? But that often is the land then that is most expensive because it's close to a population center, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and those are the places where we see the most, uh, land loss to development, um, and the most competition from non-farming buyers who, and that can include both, you know, housing developments, but also increasingly just individuals who are looking for uh, second home properties or just rural rural properties um, that they are not looking to farm themselves. And this really can set up a lot of um, what we see going on of rental scenarios where farmers are depending on short-term lease arrangements and um, just, you know, facing a lot of instability as they're trying to to farm and to deal with climate instability and to uh, grow their their markets and yeah just invest in soil health and all all of these things that just become more challenging um, and yeah so I think that just a point that I want to be kind of making that's at the core of this um, is also this idea of land as a commodity and that it's we're not we're really seeing it as something that can be bought and sold that can go to the highest bidder it has very few um, backstops on how or what it's used for and i think that that you know just sets up a lot of these challenges that we see of of land loss um from agricultural use of land being sold to non non-farming landowners and um 
And yeah, just this like ongoing generational wealth building and related to land that really shuts out a lot of young people and especially people of color who have been systemically denied access to that ability to build generational wealth through land. Right. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit more about that. So, you know, I I mentioned in the intro that there has been like this increased attention. Um, Lately, you see a lot of headlines in the press about farmland as an investment, right? Like, and you you mentioned it's sort of seen as a commodity, right? Like a a thing that can be bought and and sold for profit. Um, In my mind, it feels like um, that has really kind of exploded in just like the past couple of years, that situation. How, do you think that has been, been getting worse and becoming more of an issue, um, for, for when farmers are going out and looking for land? Yes, definitely. I mean, I, I think again, a lot of that is somewhat anecdotal in terms of what we're able to know about, um, about you know, really who are the people who are buying land and who's outcompeting farmers. But we, you know, we do know that um, recent USDA estimates show show that 30% of farmland is owned by non-farmers. And um, we're seeing investor interest grow in all kinds of places. Like you see it show up in, um, in shareholder reports and in financial guidebooks and things where people are being encouraged to invest in farmland right now because it's seen as um, an investment that has this kind of dual benefit of increasing in value over time as you hold it and also in the potential to get some income off of it through rental or or production. Um, You know, it's also, of course, it's a scarce resource if you think of mm-hmm. it that way in a commodity. And um, so, yeah, we're just, we're seeing a definite increase in in that investor interest in land. And, um, you know, you can see, see that in the different metrics. Um, there's one that, that I saw that talks about the ratio of real estate value to production value. It's like what, um, you know, what are people pay, paying to purchase land versus w- compared to uh, what they might be able to rent the land for, for agricultural use. And um, just seeing seeing that ratio, uh, the divide um, grow there too. Right. Sure. Um, and, and you mentioned a few times um, structural inequalities. Um I think a lot of people, I think we've actually talked about this on the Farm Report before, the fact that um, at this point in time, um, white people own 98% of rural land in this country. Um, What are you hearing from young BIPOC farmers about how their challenges are compounded um, when they're attempting to access land? Yeah, the statistics are are really staggering. I mean, 98% just to underscore that that's almost complete ownership of agricultural land right in the hands of white individuals. And yeah, like I said, that's really um what we you know, wrote about in our land policy report that we published in 2020 is just tracing the direct link of how public policies over the years have created an environment in which land has been 
taken, redistributed, made accessible to to white landowners at the expense of becoming inaccessible, being taken, being you know dispossessed from individuals of color. And so this is a long legacy of our our federal policy history um, and resulting in this picture that we have today. And, and policy is that continue to kind of exacerbate those, uh, those, the results of those past policies, even if they're no longer explicitly racist in the way that they have been in the past. Um, so, you know, we really drew, drew that link in that report. And I think that's important to highlight. Um, and then, yeah, it's, it's, it's playing out in, in so many ways today for, for young people of color who are looking to, grow food, get into farming, grow food for their communities. Um, as I mentioned, you know, there's just this legacy of intergenerational wealth building that really creates a huge challenge. Um, there's, I mentioned the issue of student loans. Uh, we see these kind of intersectional challenges there in that individuals of color are more likely to have higher student loans. And um, so seeing even like, you know, some of these challenges that might seem tangential to the land issue exacerbated um, and very interrelated. Uh, I mentioned issues of feeling feeling safe in rural communities and really just like that that intergenerational wealth transfer of land piece is so so central because not only is it the wealth um, that's transitioned, it's the knowledge, it's also the community of landowners like having, Having access to a community of landowners uh, can really, really makes a huge, huge difference because uh, often agricultural land doesn't even change hands on a formal real estate market. So um, I think just seeing seeing all of those factors come together. But um, but you know I think it's also we we mentioned this in our report, and I think it's really important to highlight that. Uh, in the face of these challenges, there's such a long and powerful legacy of of land justice and land-based advocacy from communities of color and that have really driven a lot of the important policy change that we've seen on this issue in the past and, and today are really driving a lot of the um, really innovative and exciting models on the ground that we're seeing of creating secure land access opportunities and a real a future where land justice is is really central to our conversations about land. So, um, just want to name that and call that out as well. Yeah, absolutely. And we're going to talk more about um, some of those policy changes and advocacy um, and solutions to this issue when we come back. We'll be right back. This episode of The Farm Report is brought to you by Steward. It's tough for local farms, ranches, fisheries, and producers to access the capital they need to propel themselves forward or to sustain themselves at all. Steward is transforming agriculture by equipping regenerative farms and food producers with the resources they need to grow. Founded in 2017, Steward offers flexible loans and expert support services to human-scale agriculture businesses that are looking to scale their operations, improve the health of their lands, and bolster local food systems. But they don't do it alone. 
Their innovative lending platform brings together a community of values-driven individuals who join in their mission by participating in loans that fuel this growth. Learn more, apply for a loan, or lend support at gosteward.com. This episode is brought to you by PASA Sustainable Agriculture. For 30 years, PASA's conference has served as a springboard for transformative food system change. PASA's 2022 conference features more than 30 virtual and 90 in-person sessions on farming and food systems, covering topics that include building community food webs, keeping seeds to preserve cultural traditions, protecting local watersheds, as well as production methods and business skills for food producers of all levels. Keynote speakers include Soulfire Farms' Leah Peniman, author of Farming While Black, Sarah Mock, author of Farm and Other Efforts, and Jessica Gordon Nemhard, author of Collective Courage, a History of African-American Cooperative Economic Thought and Practice. PASA's virtual pre-conference takes place January 4th through 28th. Register anytime to attend live or get recordings. You can also join PASA in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, on February 10th through 12th for its in-person main conference. Comprehensive COVID safety measures will be in place. Learn more and register at pasafarming.org slash conference. That's P-A-S-A farming.org slash conference. All right, we're back. This is Lisa Held. You're listening to The Farm Report on Heritage Radio Network. I've been speaking with Holly Rippin butler the Land Campaign Director at the National Young Farmers Coalition. We're talking about land access today, and we got into a lot of the structural issues that make it difficult for young farmers to find land and afford land um, before the break. And, you know, in the second half of the show, I really just want to talk a little bit about um, how how the coalition is thinking about um, working towards solutions. So, um, Holly, you have launched the One Million Acres campaign, and I want to talk about what that is. Before we get into the details, I'm curious um, about the number. Why one million? Yeah, it's a great question. So we launched this campaign as our farm bill campaign. We're thinking about the farm bill. The 2023 farm bill is coming up and will be just a really critical policy moment to address this issue of land access and and equitable access to land. Um, So we were thinking about, you know, just how do we express the scope of the challenge that young farmers are facing? And, uh, and also choose a number that is going to get people's attention. You know, we're we're building a campaign. We wanted to um, choose something that would would grab people's attention while still making a huge difference for for young farmers on the ground. Um, and we believe that you know the setting this goal of one million acres uh, becoming accessible and uh, affordable, and you know, getting seeing one million acres be equitably transitioned to the next generation of farmers, that's both achievable and and meaningful. It could help over 50,000 young people gain access to land in the next 10 years, and uh, which would more than double the number of young farmers added between the last two farm bills. And, um, you know, it's also in, in line with the amount of 
land that's transitioning, changing hands already. And um, I could I could get into more wonky details about how we chose that number if you want. But baseline, we think it's both you know achievable, meaningful, and hopefully really catches people's attention. Yeah, sure. That that makes perfect sense. And so you're you're calling on Congress to invest two point five billion dollars over ten years in the twenty twenty three farm bill um, to facilitate equitable access to one million acres of land. Um, what specific policy changes um, do you think are necessary to make that happen? Like, what are what are the investments that are necessary? Yeah. Well, in general, you know, we really as I've been saying, believe public policy is a critical place and for this to see this investment and this change made given the role that policy has had in in determining our the current picture of land access um, in this country. And we are working towards we've set this this big number, this big goal um, in terms of the dollar figure and the acreage as a starting point for the campaign. But we're really working closely with uh, with partner organizations now to determine the specific policy proposals. We want um, you know we want this campaign to be created. Uh, based on coalition and partnership and to really um, value the expertise of of partners that have been working in this space for a very long time. So that process is is underway in terms of what will the specific proposals be and and this will you know this is a long um, this is the process of of policy change always is that you're in you're in a give and take with with partners, with your congressional champions, all of that. Um, but you know, I will say we have we are thinking about the um, the some general areas where we know we need to to see policy change um, and focus on uh, you know we think farm farmland conservation is really critical, keeping farmland from continuing to um, to be lost. We think you know it's really important to address um, to address farm viability and transition uh, as well as access to credit and you know to be thinking about all of these policy changes with equity as the as the focus focus point um, so we've got you know I would say buckets um, that we're working in we've got lots of specific proposals kind of outlined in the land policy report we put together last year or I guess in 2020 now. Um, <laughs> and we're also working closely with partners and potential congressional champions to really nail down what are what are those specific proposals. Got it. Okay. So still in development. Um, what about the uh, beginning farmer program that specifically exists within the farm bill? Has that um, been effective, do you feel like, over the years at really supporting farmers who, young farmers that you work with? And, and is that a place where you think more uh, funding should be invested? Well, you know, the, I think the part of the reason that we're really excited to be talking about this campaign and to be drawing such attention to the issue of land access is because we really saw uh, a gap in what existed in farm bill policies. Um, there are, you know, there are a lot of programs that fund that fund farmland conservation. There are, there's the beginning farmer rancher development program funding farmer training. There are, uh, you know, outreach programs, things around local food, lots of 
programs, obviously all the, the credit programs that sort of get at issues of land and land access. But there's nothing that was set up and designed and really put in place specifically to address land access, uh, equitable access to land, land security for farmers. And so, you know, I think, well, we definitely um, think that the the programs in place have been incredibly important in, in helping where, you know, we're seeing, um, we talk to young farmers all the time who benefited from USDA programs. There are also a lot of areas for improvement just in terms of delivery and who those programs are reaching, um, making sure that they're, they're really, um, accessible to young farmers and farmers of color, that they fit their businesses. And, um, and so I think there's, there's a lot of tweaks that we're excited to make both, uh, just to continue to make existing farm bill programs more accessible, but also we really saw this niche and this need for a, uh, a new focus specifically on access to land. Yeah, that makes sense. The the beginning farmer program that I was referencing, as you said, it's it's more about training. So I mean, it, it, it I could see how it, it might even if it's very effective, it's potentially helping provide training to young farmers, but that doesn't do anything to then help them go out and find land to apply their training, right? So yes, um, exactly. Yeah. You know, we really yeah, it's it's two two separate things, and they're interrelated and both important. Yeah, absolutely. So this is kind of just getting started because, as you mentioned, the farm bill discussions are are just going to be getting started this year. That's all going to be ramping up um, as we get further into 2022. So, I, I mean, it's going to be a while before before we know exactly what gets into the farm bill and, and what this all looks like. But um, just like in the long term, maybe from sort of a more big picture sense, um, for the One Million Acres campaign, what what does success look like in your mind? Yeah, absolutely. It's really such an important question. It's something I um, ask myself a lot and I'm very excited to think about. It's what really gives me kind of the most the most energy around continuing to do this policy work is just thinking about what what could it actually look like on the ground for farmers in 2024 as as this farm bill is being implemented um and yeah i think a couple of things i think at um at sort of starting at the kind of wonky policy level in dc i think it would be really um we would really love to see some coordination within USDA on this land access issue. So seeing um, a result of this farm bill be that there is a dedicated position or, you know, a couple positions within our Department of Agriculture that are sort of there, that are staff, they're permanently focused and their time is really dedicated to saying, yes, you know, the United States Department of Agriculture should in all of its work focus on this foundational issue of equitable access to land. And so I think that's just one one piece of the vision that's very um very high high level but that I would be very excited to see as someone working with the USDA and with policy uh, on a daily basis. But then um in the bigger picture in terms of what it would mean on the ground, 
I truly think it would look like resourcing a lot of the incredible efforts that are already underway. I think we want to, you know, the, a lot of big part of the the vision and what I've heard from from partners as well is just this um, seeing our federal dollars, our tax dollars, uh, going towards supporting community based initiatives that are that are addressing this land access challenge. Um, so not necessarily that it's um, saying the government has to to solve this issue alone. It's saying these the solutions already exist in um, you know community land trusts that are doing this work in local nonprofits that are that are making land accessible um, and in organizations that are providing uh, jobs to farmers and you know valuing their contributions as um, as really uh, public services and seeing I think seeing federal support for those initiatives and seeing incentives for more of those initiatives to be created um, for more state dollars to go towards that work. Um, generally seeing, um, you know, a, a, a country where we are valuing the work that farmers do and the land that they need to do it on uh, with our with our public dollars. So shifting, shifting those resources in that way and doing so um, Specifically, with a focus on shifting shifting that that data point around who owns land and saying, you know, we we don't accept that ninety eight percent of farmland is owned by white individuals. We think that 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 needs to change, and we have this incredible opportunity right now, as so much of our farmland is changing hands to um, to uh, do so in a way that is that is equitable that builds builds wealth and um, connection to the land in communities of color and that addresses uh, past injustices on the land. It sounds like you're going to be very busy working on on all those goals. (laughs) Um, Holly, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you all so much for listening to the Farm Report on Heritage Radio Network. If you enjoyed the conversation, please subscribe to the podcast, rate it, and share it. Until next time, this is Lisa Held. The Farm Report is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Just enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.